sermon from Garden City Methodist Church. We want to invite you to worship with us each Sunday at 10.30 a.m., either in person or online. You can come to our beautiful sanctuary at 62 Varnado Avenue, Garden City, Georgia, or you can worship with us online as we stream our services at GardenCityUMC.com. Our scripture for this morning, we're uh, on the second week of our series on Revelation. Our scripture this morning is <coughs> Revelation chapter 2, verse 29. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. How do you measure the effectiveness of a church? How do, you, how do you measure whether a church is doing a good job or a bad job? Some people measure the amount of people in the pews or in the seats. Some people measure the number of baptisms you have in a year. Some people measure the amount of giving that you do. Some people measure the number of book deals your pastor gets. How do you measure the effectiveness and the faithfulness of a local church? I don't know what the right answer is, but Jesus has something to say. There are seven churches of Asia that, that Jesus addresses in the book of Revelation. Can you imagine what it's like to be John? You get pulled up into the seventh heaven. You see all these amazing things. You see God and you see the angels and you see seventh heaven. And then Jesus said, okay, start dictating. <laughs> I've got some letters for you to take. It kind of seems anticlimactic, doesn't it? So last week we learned that Revelation is a prophetic book. It's a symbolic book. It's an apocalyptic book, and it's a book that's all about Jesus. But this week, we're going to learn that Revelation is also a pastoral book. Jesus has a pastoral message for the seven churches. It's not all about cryptic symbols. It's not all about this spiritual reality of Christ that's playing itself out in the church. It's about how the rule of Christ is working day to day in your local church. And Jesus makes it clear. While he's writing to these seven churches in particular, every Christian with ears would be wise to read over their shoulder to open these seven churches' mail and follow what Jesus has to say. Let everybody with an ear listen to what the Spirit says to these seven churches. So my New Testament professor, Robert Mulholland, who I'm borrowing slash stealing from for a lot of this series, says that you can break these churches up into three different categories. There are churches that are good, there are churches that are the bad, and the churches that are the ugly. So that's how I want us to look about them too. I want us to look at the good, the bad, and the ugly. So the first church we're going to look at is the church called Thyatira which actually exhibits all three of these categories. So it shows us what is good, bad, and ugly about these churches. So let's turn to Revelation 2, 18 through 29, and see what he has to say about Thyatira. 
to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love, faith, servants, and patient endurance. I know that your last works are greater than the first, but I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet and is teaching and beguiling my servants to practice fornication and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her fornication. Beware, I am throwing her on a bed, and those who commit adultery with her I am throwing into great distress, unless they repent of their doings. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I'm the one who searches minds and hearts, and I will give to each of you as your works deserve. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. To everyone who conquers and continues to do my works in the end, I will give authority over all the nations, to rule them with an iron rod, as when clay pots are shattered, and even as I received authority from my Father, the one who conquers, I will also give the morning star. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So we see the good, the bad, and the ugly in Thyatira. The good is the love, faith, service, and patient endurance that they're showing. God goes out of his way to make sure they know that all of these qualities are good, but some ugliness is happening too. This prophetess Jezebel, who is has beguiling servants into a cult where they're worshiping like the pagans worshiped, worshiping with food sacrificed to idols and with fornication. This is ugly stuff. They're saying they're taking the, the way the world worships and saying that you can worship God like that. And that's not okay with God. So that's the ugly. It was this, this full sale um, embrace of what the, the pagans are doing. And then the bad are these faithful Christians who aren't participating in the stuff that Jezebel's doing, but they're putting up with it. They're, they're kind of going along and saying, well, we're just trying to keep the peace with, among, among the church, and they're not calling Jezebel out. So for Jezebel and her followers, they had a promise of destruction because they wouldn't repent. But for the ones who stayed faithful, they were promised the morning star. So this is the rubric that we're going to have for the rest of the letters, the good ones are the ones that persevere. The bad ones are the ones that compromise. And the ugly ones are the ones that go wholesale into paganism and try to merge that with Christianity. So let's look at the good churches. The first good church that's not a mixed bag is Smyrna. Smyrna we find in Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. Here's what the Spirit says to Smyrna. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words, the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your affliction and your poverty, even though you're rich. I know the slander on the part of those who say that they're Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Beware, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison so that you may be tested. And for ten days you'll have affliction, but be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Let anyone who has an ear to listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Whoever conquers will not be harmed by the second death. So the church of Smyrna is facing persecution. He says the synagogue of Satan is out to get them. And they're enduring prison, suffering, and slander because of it. 
The synagogue of Satan are Jews who have aligned themselves with paganism, with fallen Babylon, so that they can avoid persecution that comes to the faithful. And so they've perverted God's synagogue for the enemy's work. And, and God promises the church of Smyrna that if they're faithful, even until death, God will give them a crown of life, and they will not be harmed by the second death. That's pretty intense stuff. But this faithfulness in the midst of persecution is what makes Smyrna a good church. The next good church is Philadelphia. We find that in Revelation 3, 7 through 13. He says, and to the, church, and the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these are the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Look, I've set before you an open door, which is no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and you have kept my word and not denied my name. I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but are lying. I will make them come and bow down before your feet. And they will learn that I have loved you because you've kept my word of patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. If you conquer, I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. You will never go out of it. I will write you on the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. In Philadelphia, they felt powerless, and they have a good reason for feeling powerless. They were powerless. They lacked worldly power to do anything about their situation, but Jesus promised them a rescue when he comes again. He will empower the powerless. They also suffered under the synagogue of Satan. And they were promised to be a pillar of the temple of God. So these two churches that are classified in the good category, they had this one thing in common. They endured persecution. They had patient endurance. They were churches who steadfastly remained faithful in the midst of really difficult persecution. And they didn't just cave to paganism in order to survive or in order to get along. We're in order to thrive. They said, we know what our God requires of us, and we're going to do it whether or not the world goes along with it. Those are the good churches. Let's look at the bad churches, the churches that compromised. The first church that compromised was in Ephesus. We can read that about that in Revelation 2, 1 through 7. He says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. I know that you cannot tolerate evildoers. You have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not, and have found them to be false. I also know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for the sake of my name, and that you've not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember from what you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this is to your credit. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To everyone who conquers, I will give permission to eat from the tree of life that is in the paradise of God. 
So the Ephesians, they had the right belief going for them. They believed all the right things, and they showed patient endurance, which is what the good churches did. But the Spirit said that they'd lost their first love, and they didn't have works like they had at first. They were closed off to the outside. They weren't doing evangelism. They weren't being persecuted because they were absolutely irrelevant. They stayed in their own Christian church bubble and didn't show love to the people in the city. Mulholland calls this cold orthodoxy. They believed all the right things. They, they affirmed all the right doctrines. And yet, they weren't loving their neighbors as themselves. And they says, if they don't repent and recover their first love, their lampstand will be removed. It's not enough to believe the right things. We have to do the right things. We have to love the people, even outside the church. The second of the bad churches is Pergamum. He's in, there in Revelation 2, 12 through 17. To the angel in the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you're living, where Satan's throne is. Yet you are holding fast to my name, and you did not deny your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you, where Satan lives. But I have a few things against you. You have some who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the people of Israel so that they would eat food sacrificed to idols and practice fornication. You also have some who hold to the teaching of Nicolaitans. Repent then. If not, I will come to you soon and make war against them with the sword of my mouth. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To everyone who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give a white stone, and on the white stone is written a new name that no one knows except the one who receives it. And Pergamum, they, didn't, they were in the center of the imperial cult where people were worshiping Caesar. And if you didn't worship Caesar, you were cut off from the economy. So they didn't deny Christ's name, even at ground zero of the imperial cult. They kind of had the opposite problem of Ephesus, though. They did a good job with their witness, but they allowed compromise in their belief, in their practice, in order to avoid the most severe persecution. They got too cozy with the surrounding culture and participated in the Roman guilds that included idol worship so that they could keep their livelihoods at the cost of giving up real orthodoxy. They kind of sidled up to these idols and sidled up to these guilds and, and kind of made compromises in their beliefs, even though they were loving people like they should. And Jesus said, if they don't repent, they're promised that they'll end up on the wrong end of the sword coming out of Jesus' mouth. But if they do, they'll get a hidden manna and a new name. So the bad churches had this thing in common. They made compromises to avoid persecution. They either compromised their witness by closing up ranks and not posing a threat to the Romans, or they compromised their beliefs by kind of incorporating some of pagan beliefs in practice to keep themselves safe from persecution. But either way, they compromised. They compromised their witness or they compromised their beliefs. And the solution for them is to repent. So the solution for the good churches is to stay the course. The solution for the bad churches is to repent. And now we get to the ugly churches. The first ugly church we find in Sardis in Revelation 3, 1 through 6. 
to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have a name of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up! Strengthen what remains that is in the point of death, for I have not found your works perfect in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Obey it and repent. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will know, and you will not know what hour I will come to you. Yet you have still a few persons in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. If you conquer, you will be clothed like them in white robes, and I will not blot your name out of the book of life. I will confess your name before my Father and before his angels. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. The problem in Sardis is that they think they're alive, they think they're doing great, they think they're serving God, but they're really dead. They need more than repentance, they need a defibrillator. They need to wake up and come alive again. They have compromised themselves to the point that they can't even recognize faithful belief and faithful action. They don't know that they're doing so wrong. But Jesus says, if you wake up, they'll receive pure new clothes. But if not, they're going to get blotted out of the Lamb's book of life altogether. That's serious. And Laodicea is the next ugly church. And it's in verse, chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen the faithful and true witness, the origin of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither hot, cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. You do not realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Therefore, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white robes to clothe you and keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. I reprove and discipline those whom I love. Be earnest, therefore, and repent. Listen, I'm standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come into you and eat with you and you with me. To the one who conquers, I will give a place with me on my throne, just as I myself conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. The problem with Laodicea is that they think they're rich, but they're really poor. They've been seduced by the wealth of their city into complacency. They're not believing right, and they're not evangelizing right. They're not hot towards God's truth, and they're not cold toward Babylon's lies. They're lukewarm and disgusting, and Jesus is about to spew them out of his mouth. The word spew here isn't like a spit take. It's more like vomit. They're disgusting. And God wants them to cash in their wealth for something of real value. If they repent, they'll receive Jesus, and he'll, they'll eat with him. And if not, he'll spew them out. All the, both of the ugly churches had this in common. They thought they were doing okay. They thought they were alive and wealthy, but they were actually the ones that were doing the worst spiritually, and God was on the threshold of rejecting them. So it's interesting to me that the churches that probably thought they were doing the worst, 
facing persecution and hardship, didn't know how they were going to pay the bills, didn't know how they were going to make it alive to next Sunday, those were the ones that Jesus considered to be the good ones. And the ones that probably thought they were doing the best, the ones that had the coolest worship and the most money and the most butts in the pews, those were the ones that Jesus was on the cusp of rejecting. So since Jesus over and over again asked those of us with ears, I assume we've all got ears, right? He asked all of us with ears to listen to all the letters. I think it's up to us to determine where we fall among these churches. Are we one of the good ones? Are we one of the bad ones? Or are we one of the ugly ones? Or are we like Thyatira, a little bit of each? Where do you think the American church as a whole stands? If you can honestly say in your heart that you think the American church looks like one of the good churches, then more power to you. God bless you. I think we're probably all too wealthy to qualify. I think at the best, we're one of the bad churches. And at worst, we're probably more in the ugly category. If I'm honest, I think the American church overall has a lot more in common with the uglies, with the, with the, the Philadelphias, with the Thyatiras, to the Laodiceas than we do with, with any of the good ones. Where does Garden City stand? Where do we stand in this? How are we responding to the culture around us? Have we bought into lies? Have we gotten so used to lies that we don't even know we're believing lies? I don't know. I don't know if I can tell you where we stand right now. Where do you stand personally as a believer? These letters were written to churches, but churches aren't anything but gatherings of believers. And I think we would all do well to evaluate our own lives based on these criterias. Let's determine where we are among these churches, realizing that how we think we're doing at first might not be a great indication of what Jesus thinks we're doing. And then do what the Spirit is asking us to do as a response. The Spirit had three instructions for the churches depending on where they stood on the spectrum. The good ones had to endure, the bad ones had to repent, and the ugly ones had to come alive. And I think these are words of the Spirit for us here today, too. Maybe what God is calling you to do today is to endure. Maybe you are in a kind of spot where you don't know what tomorrow is going to hold. You don't know how your faith, how your life is going to hold on till tomorrow. Maybe you are just on the cusp of holding on. God's word for you today is to endure, patiently endure. Maybe you're under assault from the evil one and tempted to either hide or cave. Endure. No matter what happens, stay in love with Jesus. Stay faithful to what you know to be true. Keep loving God, keep loving your neighbor, and endure. Maybe God's word for you today is to repent. 
Maybe you found yourself making life easier by compromising. Maybe you're involved in stuff that you know is wrong, but you're just trying to keep the world at bay. Or maybe you've been ineffective as a witness because you don't want to offend anybody. And so you're not doing the work of the kingdom like you used to just because you don't want to rock the boat. The Spirit's word for us today is to repent, to get back to our first love, and to live a life of integrity, not compromise. Or maybe the Spirit's word for us today is to come alive. Maybe you've been coasting on the reputation for being alive, but you know that inside your spiritual life is dead. Maybe you've been seduced by wealth, and you think that money or success is evidence that God's pleased with you. But it's not. If this passage shows us anything, it's that the opposite is probably true. And God word, God's word for us is to wake up from our spiritual slumber, to come alive again, to rely on the Spirit of God once again, and to stop relying on ourselves. So today, we are going to take communion. And I want you to take some time today at the altar as you receive the body and the blood, the bread and the wine, to reflect on where you stand in all of this. And to commit to one of these actions, to repent, to endure, or to come alive. Let everyone with ears hear what the Spirit is saying to the seven churches. Let us do the same. Let's pray. Jesus, this is such a hard word. These, these words to these churches are so hard. Harder still is the fact that if we think we're doing the best, we're probably doing the worst. And how do we tell? How do we judge? God, make us faithful. God, help us to reject lies, even if they're lies that we've believed our whole life. Give us the evangelistic zeal to stand out, to, to be a witness for you in the world. Give us the the intellectual rigor to be faithful in our belief. Show us how to thread that needle. God, I pray that for those who are struggling today, that you will give them the faith to patiently endure. Be with us today, Father. Show us who you are as we come to the altar. Give us more of you. In your name I pray. Amen.